You can be seated. How's everyone doing tonight? Man, I'm thrilled that you guys are here. I know that it is, we are approaching the, well, we're in the busy part of the semester. And so um, I know that you guys have a lot going on. And so I am appreciative of you being here and I'm encouraged by your presence here tonight. Uh, if you haven't been here a while or if this is your first time here on Wednesday night, uh, we are in the middle of a series called According the Good News About Jesus According to Mark. And we are working through our way through the gospel of Mark. And this is great because our spiritual theme for the year is authenticity. And what could be more authentic as a Christian than learning about the life of Jesus and trying to imitate him and become more like him? If you're new to Christianity or you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing, you're not quite sure about it then this is also a great series for you because Christianity revolves around this guy named Jesus. And when you learn about Jesus, you are learning about Christianity. And so this is, this is great. Um, it's, it's a great series for you wherever you are in your spiritual walk. Do we have any scary movie fans here? Yes, a couple. All right. Uh, this past weekend was Halloween and uh, I love Halloween, but I am not a scary movie person or like haunted house person. I, I just don't see the benefit of paying good money to be scared out of your mind for a couple hours or, or however long it is. Um, before I got married though, I did find that there was a, a good purpose of scary movies. And that was if you took your date on a scary movie or to a haunted house, then the, the likelihood of them grabbing onto your arm or getting close or holding your hand went up exponentially. And so, <laughs> so I, uh, uh, in fact, when I was in middle school, what I would do is because I would always get scared of scary movies and I would like jump at the worst times and I would like cover my eyes and stuff. What I would do is I would go and I'd watch a scary movie before I brought a date. So then I would know when all the scary parts were and everything, and I would be prepared so I could pretend like I wasn't scared, right? You see, when you know how a story ends, it is easy to not be afraid, right? When you know how the story ends, it is easy to not be afraid. Right. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, we are in Mark and uh, we are at the end of Mark. And um, and it is easy to put judgment on the people that we are going to be reading about, because we know as Christians, a lot of times we know how the story ends. Um, but as we're going through these couple of stories or these few stories, I want you to try to put yourself in their shoes and pretend like you don't know how the story ends, right? And really put yourself in their shoes or their sandals probably and, and think about how you would react in these situations. So um, at the end of chapter four, it says this, uh, starting in verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. 
But soon a fierce storm came up, high, uh, high waves were breaking in the boat, into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And so Jesus and the disciples are in this boat. And these aren't just like your average Joes in a boat on a lake. Like these were experienced fishermen. Before they met Jesus, they were uh, living on the water. They knew how to operate a boat. And yet here they are in this boat and water is coming in. And this is a really bad storm. And they legitimately think they are going to die. Right? And I love Jesus's response here. Uh, verse 38, it says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I find that hilarious to me, right? I just imagine Jesus not being bothered by this storm, with the, not just like in the back of the boat, not being bothered or worried, but like he was sound asleep. He, he was all comfy, cozy. His head was on a cushion. I imagine him like dreaming and snoring and drool coming out of his mouth. Like he had, he didn't care about the storm, right? And then it says this, um, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, Jesus clues us in onto where the disciples are with their faith. You see, if the disciples really understood who Jesus was and they knew that he was the Messiah, they would know that the Messiah isn't going to die in a boat, in a lake, in a storm. Right? If they really believed that they were in the boat with the Messiah, they would know that they were safe because the Messiah isn't going to go out there. And we see this with their reaction. We know this by their reaction, right? Continuing on, verse um, uh, 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. The disciples legitimately thought they were about to die moments before, and instead of being happy and exuberant and joyful and full of relief, they are terrified of this man. They are terrified because they don't really know who he is. You see, if, if they knew who he was, if they knew that he was really the Messiah, they would know that the creator is in charge of the creation. The one who created the winds and the waves, of course, he is able to control them. But they didn't know who Jesus was. That's why they're asking, who is this man? And they are terrified of him. Verse 42. Then Jesus, being annoyed of having been woken up, put his head back on the pillow and went back. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so we move on, right, at the end of chapter four. And at the beginning of chapter five, we come across another story of more people who didn't understand who Jesus was. 
And we're not going to read the story for the sake of time, but essentially uh, Jesus, he comes across this man and he is possessed by demons, right? Not just a demon, but demons, plural. And not just two demons, right? But a host of demons. It says it was a legion of demons. And this man is possessed by these demons. And what Jesus does is he casts out the demons and they go into this herd of pigs, right? And these pigs go barreling down a hill over a cliff into a lake and they drown. And in verse 15 of chapter five, it says that, that the, the people were terrified and they were afraid of Jesus. They saw the healed man and were afraid. And in fact, they actually begged Jesus to leave. You see, if they had an understanding of who Jesus really was, they would be bowing down and worshiping instead of begging him to leave. Because if they understood who Jesus really was, that Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah, they would know that Jesus is in charge and has dominion over demons. But they don't know who he is, so they are afraid. And they beg Jesus to leave. And these two stories that we read at the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5, really, uh, these two stories of people that are afraid of Jesus because they don't understand who he is, they contrast with this next story that we are going to look at. And this next story really is two stories in one. And so um, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're in chapter 5, starting in verse 22. It says, then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jairus, he fell at his feet, pleading, or when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Jairus is full of faith here. And Jairus, he would have been a well-respected member of the community. He wouldn't have been a rabbi, but he would have kind of been like uh, the one in charge of the synagogue, almost like a groundskeeper, right? And, and so he would have been in charge of the grounds of the synagogue and kind of helping organize um, worship events and so forth. And so he was well-known and well-respected in the community, and he is full of faith. And we know he's full of faith because he is leaving his dying daughter's side to go to Jesus, right? No father is going to leave their dying daughter's side unless they truly believe that Jesus is going to heal his daughter. And so we know that Jairus, he is a man that is full of faith and he truly believes that Jesus can do what he says. Verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from, uh, from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had, got, gotten, 
she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. This woman has tremendous faith. Right? She is willing to risk a lot to go and touch Jesus's robe. Not just touch Jesus, but just his robe to be healed. And she believes this because we know that she believes this because she is risking a ton. You see, according to Jewish law, she would have been considered unclean. And not only that, not only would she be considered unclean, right? But anyone that she came in contact with would also be unclean because she was unclean because of her condition. Right? And then uh, verse 29. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. See, this woman, she is frightened and terrified, not of Jesus, but of everyone around Jesus. She is terrified because she legitimately pressed it through this crowd and made countless people unclean, and she was afraid of what they were going to think of. It would be kind of like today, right, having COVID and then coming into a room and start coughing on everyone, right? That's how this woman felt. She was unclean, and she made countless people unclean, and she was terrified of what they were going to do to her and what they were going to think of her. And I love, I absolutely love Jesus's response. It says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. This is the only time in all of the Gospels that Jesus refers to someone as daughter. Her faith has made her a daughter of the one true God. And Jesus eases her fears. He says, your suffering is over. And not just over for a little while, but over for all time. Right? Verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jars, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. 
So a couple of a few weeks ago, Megan and I we were uh, we went to dinner at at some friends' houses and something I had eaten like either earlier in the day or at the dinner something was not settling well with me, right? And then we come to the end of the dinner and and we're about to leave and I'm like. I'm like nudging Megan. I'm like, we got to get out of here. Like, I don't want to go in and, you know, use their toilet, uh, do what I'm about to do in their toilet. So we got to get out of here. And so we hop in the car and no joke, I am like speeding down the road because I need to get to the to bathroom, right? And I am speeding and I am uh, giving myself little pep talks. Megan is, not, <laughs> Megan is trying not to laugh because I told her every time she laughs, I laugh and then that makes it worse on me. And so I am like speeding down the road and, and like every little bump is just torture for me, right? Every little slowdown is just torture. We get to a red light and I am legitimately talking to the light, trying to use the force to get the light to change so that I can speed on and get home, right? And I imagine that that's kind of how Jarvis is in this situation. He's trying to get Jesus home to his daughter and every little slowdown is just pure torture for him. And then he gets the news that his daughter is dead. And it is too late. Hope is lost. And once again, Jesus, Jesus has the perfect response. He says, verse 36, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jarvis, don't be afraid, just have faith. In Jairus' worst moment of his life, when all hope is lost, his world is crashing down around him, his daughter is dead, Jesus says, don't be afraid, because I am here. Just have faith in me. Verse 37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. You see, back in Jesus' time, when, when a family member died, <coughs> <Excuse me. Wow. laughs> when a family member died, what would happen is uh, people would come and they would make all this, they would play instruments and make all this loud noise and so forth, so the family could mourn how they wanted. Right? And so the people are already at the house and they're making all this noise and commotion so that the family members can be as loud as they want without being embarrassed from their mourning. 
And Jesus, he says, why are you all here? Right? You're here too soon. This, this, this girl, she isn't dead. She is only asleep. Verse 40. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, I looked this up, I'm going to have to say it. Every time I do that, I always forget it. Um, Talita kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. For Jairus, his worst fear had, come, had become reality. His daughter was dead, but now she is alive because of Jesus. His daughter was dead, but now she is alive because of Jesus. You see, Jesus erased Jairus's fears. And this is what happens if you truly understand who Jesus is. Right? You see, if you, you truly understand who Jesus is and who the Father is, right? And you have faith in the Father, the Father is going to remove all your fears. Faith in the Father removes all fears. Faith in the Father removes all fears because in the end, God is victorious. You see, as Christians, we should know this. We should know that God is victorious in the end, and so we shouldn't have any fears. Just like I would go and watch the scary movies beforehand. So I would know the ending and I would know that everything would be okay at the end and I wouldn't be scared. As Christians, we should know that God is victorious and we should have no fears as a result because faith in the Father removes all fears. Our father, he is a good, good father who has our best interests at heart. And he is victorious in the end. On Sunday, Sunday was Halloween, and, and we took Maggie Jo trick-or-treating just in our neighborhood. We dressed her up as a pumpkin and, and took her out in, in our neighborhood to a few of our neighbors that, that we've got to know. And uh, we get back, and she is sitting on the floor, and she has a Reese's Pieces, or not Reese's Pieces, a Reese's in her hand, and uh, she likes the crinkling of the wrapper or whatever, and, and she's not, she's just one, she's not quite old enough to be eating candy, and we try to, like, limit her sugar intake or so forth, and so she's sitting on the floor, and she has this, this candy that she had gotten, and she's 
messing with a wrapper and she enjoys it. And I don't want her to open it up and get chocolate all over the floor. And so I go over and I grab it from her and she's staring up at me with her big, beautiful eyes. And as she's staring up at me, I slowly open it and I eat the Reese's right in front of her. <laughs> you see, God isn't like that. <laughs> you see, as much as I try to be a good father, sometimes I'm not, right? I'm narcissistic. I'm hedonistic, right? God isn't like that, though. He has your best interest at heart. And if we truly understood who God was and that he always had our best interests at heart and that in the end he is victorious, we would have no fears. But too often, we are like the disciples in the boat, aren't we? We know who Jesus is. We know that he is the Messiah and the Son of God up here, but we don't really know him here. We live our lives full of fear because we don't have faith that God is victorious in the end, that he is who he says he is. Have you ever met someone who has great faith. I am not a person of great faith. I struggle with my faith. It is something that I am always constantly working on. Right? When I'm, I'm presented with a problem, uh, my go-to is how can I solve this problem? People who have great faith, when they are presented with a problem, they're like, how is God going to resolve this issue? I think that that's how like churches and ministries get planted, right? It's because people have great faith. They're like, hey, I need $100,000 to start this ministry. I don't have $100,000. I don't know how to get $100,000, but guess what? God does, and he's going to provide. Or I need a million dollars for a new church building, right? And I don't know how to get a million dollars, but God does, and he is going to provide. That's what people of great faith do. I am not one of those people, right? I think about that and I'm like, okay, $100,000. Well, if we send out, you know, 200,000 letters, then maybe we'll get close, right? That's my go-to. Right? But people of great faith, that they just trust in God for everything and they have no fear. I think that that's how people... And Christians can endure persecution because they have great faith, because they know that God is who he says he is, and he is victorious in the end. That's how they can be tortured and maimed and killed with a smile on their faith because on their face, because they know that in the end, God is victorious. So, if you are here tonight, and you haven't put your faith in God, 
you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you want to, the good news is that we can help make that happen for you tonight. See, the good news of the cross it says for everyone. So if you are tired trying to do things on your own, if you are tired of being afraid, if you are tired of living in fear, and you want to put your faith in the Father who removes all fears, if you want to put your faith in a good, good Father, then we can make that happen for you tonight. Please don't hesitate. Come find me. Come find a student leader. Talk to us. <clears throat> Father God, I just, I thank you for being a good, good father. I thank you for being who you are, being all powerful, all knowing. I thank you for removing all of our fears. God, I pray for all the students here. I pray that they, they will have a full understanding of who you are and what you've done for them and that, you, and that they will know that you are victorious in the end. And I pray that you will just ease their fears. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice. Pray all this, his precious, his holy name. Amen. <laughs> you guys can stand up as we sing our last two songs.